Welcome back, Literary Slummers, to another episode of Shelf Aware, the podcast where we delve into books outside of our comfort zones. I'm Anna. And I'm Em. This week on Shelf Aware, we are finishing up, we're wrapping up Anna's unit on parallel novels. Bless. A unit that started with the classic This, this unit Dawn. was all over the place. It really was. It was real good, though. Uh, we started up with Breaking Dawn by Stephanie Meyer. We then went for a classic example, um... C.S. Lewis's Till They Have Faces, Till We Have Faces. Till we I have still faces. can't remember. Till someone has a face. <laughs> till faces are present. Um, <laughs> we're now wrapping up with this 1978, I think it is, novel, The Infernal Device by, uh, fuck, this doesn't have the guy's name on it. Michael Curland. I think it's Michael Curland. Yes, it's Michael Curland. Because <laughs> everybody's name is Michael. Which, <laughs> which is a uh, book that is a, I guess, retelling, we're probably going to have to debate this a little bit, of Sherlock yeah. Holmes from sort of Moriarty's perspective. Um, yeah. So before we get into whether or not this fits with the rest of the books in this unit, uh, Anna, what do you think of this one? This book ticked a lot of boxes for me. Okay, mm. here's my thing. My my not-so-guilty pleasure that's not-so-secret either is that I love, I love a good, like, Sherlock Holmes book. Mm-hmm. Ow, I just hit my elbow on my desk. I was so enthused. So enthused about Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> I love a good Sherlock Holmes book. I've only ever read A Study in Scarlet by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I don't know any other of the Sherlock Holmes <laughs> like original stories. Uh-huh. Um, I I know like kind of what happens in them. It's yeah. kind of impossible to avoid if you are into Sherlock Holmes <laughs> in general. <laughs> um but I love, I absolutely love, and I'm a sucker for anything that takes place on the world of Sherlock. Uh, the BBC Sherlock, of course. Um, the Laurie R. King's um, Mary Russell series. Um, uh, what is his name? Anthony Horowitz, who does like Could House be. of Silk is another like Moriarty perspective one. I don't know. I just, I love them. Mm-hmm. They're my jam, my bread and butter. This one took a lot of boxes for me because not only is it Sherlock Holmes, but it's told from the point of view of the villain, but mm. it's a villain who he isn't actually a bad criminal. He's just like this misanthropic anti-capitalist genius who loves the people that work for him and would do anything for them. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm so here for that trope. <laughs> well, good. Um, I'm glad you liked it. He's like their daddy. <laughs> okay. All right. Multiple I'm not glad about that. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think um i absolutely hated this book <laughs> i know you hate mysteries so i hate mysteries so much yep That's... and this one was very like uh-huh. <laughs> very mystery uh-huh. there was nothing else really going on i don't i don't want to dwell too much on my feelings for this because i think that they were very predictable and not super interesting and maybe featured in a later uh unit possibly spoiler alert for my next unit <laughs> the next one <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm not a big fan of mysteries for a lot of reasons I'll get into eventually. Mm. I think this was, to me, it seemed like a very good mystery, which unfortunately means that I hated it because I <laughs> don't like The those. worse the mystery, the better. <laughs> yes. So, like, I think that it's – and I have read a few Sherlock Holmes stories. I've hated all of them um, because – I can't wait to get to some Agatha Christie when it's time. Um, I can't. I can't wait. Oh, mm. Jesus. Um, mm. Yeah. But all of that aside, my own personal feelings, I think this was probably the truest example of a book that simply was not to my taste, 
but I still think was a good book. Like I didn't like it, but I think for the most part it was a good book. And there was like some stuff that maybe was a little problematic in my view, but like it was definitely stuff where I can be like, well, it was a different time versus like, yeah, being like, no, this guy's actually a racist. Like you know, or like a white man in the seventies. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I mean, like. I would hope that Mr. Curlin's views have maybe evolved a little bit, but it wasn't anything so egregious that I was like, uh, even in the 70s, you should have known better, you know? Right, right. Yeah, just like the guy, Barnett's nickname, which I didn't really cover in the summary of the book, mm. but and just all the all the mentions of the different races. In yeah, the yeah, there's a couple I things. Don't, it, might... it was partially like, oh, I'm writing as I, a white man, imagined things were like in the Victorian right, era sure. and also in the 1970s. Right. So there was like two levels of like historical, you know, miss in there. Yes. yes. Um, but, you know, all that aside, like I said, I don't think it was anything that would, um, if you are, a, I guess, kind of moving into who we would recommend this book for. If you are a fan of mysteries, I don't think it was anything that I would be like, well, you shouldn't read it because of this, you know. Yeah, yeah. I if definitely if if um like a crime novel is your jam. Yeah. Here you go. We've got a royal conspiracy here. Mm-hmm. Um and I felt like it was I had to google a lot of facts for this one because I was like I don't believe that that was a thing in the Victorian era, but it was. So there's oh. like, a, I guess it's pretty accurate to the era as well. That's impressive since it was written before Google. So, you know. It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah I did good his for research. you, Michael Curland. Curland. You went to the library. I'm proud of you. It shows. Could we, could we be more condescending? <laughs> <laughs> I really just don't know. Like, the, the, the amount of time you would have to spend researching know, right? back when you couldn't just ask your telephone. Right? To like, I just wouldn't. I would. Uh, yeah. I'd be like, I guess I'm writing fantasy. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was going to say. I'd be like, well, I don't care to research it, so I'll make it up. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Like, do you think people, like, because I mean, like, now when I write stuff, which I don't write a ton and I'm not, like, published anywhere or anything, so there's, like, Mm -hmm. way lower standards for when I write stuff anyway, but, like, when I write stuff, I, like, stop every two seconds, basically, to research some random thing. Do you think, like, writers in the 70s, like, did they have to, like, keep a list or, like, did they just, like, run to the library every two, or write at the library, I guess. Or write at the library? Mm, good questions maybe they just like left Blake and they were like editor help me do this <laughs> um okay so I did want to talk about before we get into the book proper how do you think this fits with the rest of the mm. unit well at first I thought because I don't really like I said I don't really know uh a ton of the specifics of the actual like canon of Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes so at first I was like maybe this is a one of the Sherlock Holmes mysteries but told from Moriarty's perspective, yeah. but I don't think it is. I didn't bother to research that fact before I turned on the audacity to record this episode. <laughs> I looked Maybe up I the could've. character names involved with Sherlock Holmes to see, because I figured, like, okay, if there's a Sherlock Holmes mystery where he has to rescue Lady Catherine, if uh-huh. I search Lady Catherine Sherlock Holmes, that'll come up, right? Right. But the only thing was, like, a bunch of Pride and Prejudice with Sherlock Holmes retellings. So, like, I don't Whoa, think it's a real... excuse me. Hold yeah, on. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Here's there's, a blending there's of a genres couple. I didn't know I loved. <laughs> there's a couple of those out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, so I don't think it's a real uh, okay. book or story that 
Conan Doyle wrote. Mm. So that does change things a little. I mm-hmm. guess it's not like a hundred percent, but I do appreciate this presentation of a of a different Moriarty, kind of like an ex. It, 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 it kind of rings rings. It kind of um, what is the word I'm looking for? Rings. It kind of, it kind of has the same feel as "Till We Have Faces," where it's mm-hmm. like, here is the other character explaining themselves, and they don't really like they don't come off any nicer or better in their version, but they're just like, here's what was going through their mind. That kind of had the same feel. See, I also made that comparison in my head of "Till We Have uh-huh. Faces" because I was like. This is very reminiscent to me of, I can't remember the character names from that book, but the main character, how the whole mm. book was like, oh, she wasn't really the villain oh, that yeah. we thought, but also the sister was, the other sister was terrible. And I yeah. kind of felt like that with this book where it was like, Moriarty isn't really the terrible villain that we thought, but there is another villain that there is, is like, vil- yeah. there's another <laughs> third villain who's still just like the villain. So it, I, it. I feel like it kind of undercuts it a little bit where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you don't know the side of the story and whatever. It's like, yeah, but there's like another side. You've inter- you've just, it was a two-sided story and you were supposed to explain the second side, but you've just introduced a third side. Like- yeah. Yeah. You kind of like copped out a little bit, right? Because right? instead of just justifying Moriarty mm-hmm. jumping off Reichenbach, falls i don't know is that what happens does he jump off i know sure yes i'm a Sherlock Holmes expert. they both die then they both come back what the fuck ever um (laughs) like instead of justifying his reasoning behind doing that and chasing after sherlock and being just a nuisance in general it's just like well i still steal from the rich because it's the same as what they're doing on victorian era wall street i guess um and also it was the russians all along (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I I also, I feel like this, and I believe I said this when I introduced this book, I was not prepared for this. Like, I had not done my Mm. research as much as I should have for picking out this book. It was a hard one to, like, determine, though. Mm -hmm. So So I do feel like this is the kind of typical, my typical response at the end of the unit of being like, oh, I liked it, but it doesn't fit. I feel Mm -hmm. like you totally could play that card if you wanted to. (laughs) (laughs) No, I can see it has, like, it has hints of what I usually don't like. Mm -hmm. But I'm, like, I'm glossing over it all because I do like a Sherlock Holmes novel and I do like a villain. All right, then I will count this as a win for me, there which apparently go. we're now keeping score of. We're not. We are. <laughs> we are both competitive. It was inevitable. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's get into what the actual book was about. I do this. This summary might feel a little bit more. I feel like I, I've said this a couple of times, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it rings true for anybody. But this this summary might be a little bit stilted because I did gloss over a lot of stuff that was basically kind of just like world building and character building stuff. Mm-hmm. Felt like it's probably going to be important in later novels. This is the first novel in a series of at least five books because we both bought, like, I'm assuming you bought the Omnibus. Yeah, I did. That was on Kindle, and it was like books one, two, and five, which is a weird choice for mm-hmm. an Omnibus, but okay. Uh, so there's at least five books in the series. I don't know if there's any more. I think it was also one of those like 70s spec fit. It's not quite spec fit, but 70s sort of vibes of like, I'm writing this book and maybe it'll have a sequel. Maybe it won't. It wasn't like he's sitting down. Like, Cause I mean, I think the most recent ones came out in like the 2000s. So, I mean, like, I don't think it was like, he was like, oh, I have a whole arc planned. It was kind of like the original Sherlock Holmes where it's just like, oh, if I have the idea for a story, I'll write another one. Mm-hmm. But so I guess maybe like the fifth one relates more to this one or something. I don't know. Um, yeah maybe maybe it's the same villain 
popping yep. up. But I think in addition to your disclaimer about the summary, I would like to make a disclaimer about my interruptions, which will probably be big stretches because I, <laughs> you glossed over world building in your description. I glossed over the actual book. <laughs> I was not enjoying myself. There, there could be a lot to nitpick in this. I will. Um, there could that. be, but I didn't pay enough attention. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how this one goes. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> All right. Well, as much as I said I liked this book, the book does start with The Thing I Hate, which is an unnecessary prologue. Ugh. <laughs> and it sets it up to where it's going to be from Moriarty's point of view, but mm-hmm. it isn't really. I mean, some of the book is, but most of the book is not. But So we're here with Professor Moriarty. He receives a package, and it ends up being a bomb. But it's okay, because he knew it was a bomb, and so he's able to throw it out the window of his home before it kills him. This was my biggest issue with this book. Just kidding. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of issues with this book, mainly that it was boring <laughs> and I didn't really read it. Um, but I hate, and this is also my issue with Sherlock Holmes and mysteries in general and this sort of like genius detective character uh, mm-hmm. of, it's just like, you can't just like, he does this a couple times where he's like, a thing, a bad thing happens, and he's like, mm, I knew that would happen. And it's like, fuck you. Like, yeah. <laughs> why did you let it happen? Right. Then, bro? Like, later on, when they're stuck in the carriage, and he's like, quickly, try the window. And the guy tries the window, and he's like, it's locked. I can't roll down the window. And Moriarty's <laughs> like, mm, yes, I suspected that. I'm like, then why did you have him do that? You can't just, you can't just say you suspected it after everything and get credit for being a genius, Moriarty, but I guess you can. <laughs> I you guess dick. you can. Though. <laughs> suspected it was a bomb then why did you allow then any why of did you this? accept it why didn't you tell them to not oh, whatever why didn't you fine. why didn't you throw it back in their faces <laughs> anyway sorry <laughs> clicking back to my notes um then we get to chapter one and suddenly we're following two different men benjamin barnett barnett benjamin barnett an American journalist yeah and lieutenant or is it lieutenant because it's British lieutenant Sefton an officer in the British Navy you know how a couple weeks ago when we read Haunting of Hill House you were like I just was having such trouble with the dialogue uh and like it just wasn't sinking in that was me with this I was just like I can't I've read this paragraph three times and this was the point at which I started skimming because I'm just like I don't I don't know what's happening the first care. two or three chapters were kind of rough. I was like, what is My this? mind is not built for this. Yeah. I, I don't know what it was. No, I agree. I was having a real tough time with it the first couple, two or three chapters until it got to like the meat of it. Mm-hmm. I was like, what is all? I don't care about fucking submarines. Yeah. Or these two little boys running around Constantinople. <laughs> Whatever. Mm-hmm. I just, it was not sinking in. So I was just like, well, I give up. And I think I kind of started getting back into it like at the midway point, but but then it loses Ooh. you again at the end. Yep. yep. <laughs> when it goes back to the actual plot. Yeah. <laughs> when it goes back to running after fucking submarines. No one cares. <laughs> the like two chapters of like sexual tension between Barnett and Moriarty were good. And the like mm-hmm. one little bit of like Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty interacting was fun. But like aside from that, I was just like, oh, why are they explaining this to me? I don't care. I love that you talk about the sexual tension between Moriarty and Barnett because I was like, am I weird for this? But no, Oh, yeah, I'm for not. sure. Well, it's the because same. Because there's a line. It's only yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one fucking line. And Moriarty just kind of like throws it out there and nothing's ever said again. But he's like, huh, 
I guess our relationship is a little bit different than I originally thought it was going to be. Uh huh. Like, uh huh. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it, it's the same sort of vibe as Holmes Watson, right? Which has always been, you know, read with the queer gaze and whatnot. Um, yes, and like yeah. down to the the um, him having uh, the Watson character having a canon female love interest, right? Because that True. eventually does happen. Yes. Though I don't talk about her at all. Yeah, she's super irrelevant. Much like the Watson female love interest, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no one cares about that. I I liked her in the BBC, Sherlock. But Mm. I feel like they expanded a lot on her character. Benjamin Barnett and Lieutenant Sefton are, they're both in Constantinople for the purpose of viewing a submarine demonstration, which was the first thing I had to Google because I was like, when the fuck were submarines invented? Uh, Apparently 1863. (laughs) So there you have it. There you have it, folks. Submarines have been around a long time. Um, Not that long in the wide, you know, stretch of the cosmos there, but a speck. In the scope of American history, though, which is, which is the thing as an American, my yeah. basis for everything. Uh-huh. It's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they made it. They, they said Benjamin mentioned something about like the Civil War only uh-huh. being 20 years ago in this book. And I was like, huh, other countries were doing stuff at that <laughs> period in time. Weird. This is totally new information. <laughs> I never expected that. I just never expect our history books just. We just thought everybody uh, in the world was watching us fight a war. Surely the Brits were sitting over in merry old England with their popcorn, which we as Americans also invented corn, you know. Um, (laughs) Don't you know. Don't you know. And we're just, you know, watching us with our little slavery fight. Wasn't that? Wasn't that what they were? Wasn't that what they were doing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, as all eyes are always on America constantly. I know this as an American. (laughs) (laughs) There's some, like, there's something going on where, like, Barnett can't get into the submarine. There's, like, papers are lost or something, but Sefton is like, no, come with me. And then they spend, like, a whole chapter trying to get to the submarine demonstration. But in the process of doing this, they run into Professor Moriarty, Mm -hmm. who's there um and he's running from some people who are trying to kill him and then they save moriarty and have lunch and then part ways <laughs> they like learn moriarty tells them he's like i'm the world's only consulting criminal lol and they're like um all right cool. <laughs> they just part ways <laughs> i mean like i get that moriarty's whole thing is like i operate outside of the the law because I don't care, and the, why should I care about the law? Which, like, that's cool, anarchy, whatever. But, like, mm. also, like, I don't know, man. Maybe, like, be more discreet about it. Yeah, he's over here bragging. He's like, I haven't done anything illegal because I just tell people in great detail how to commit the crimes. Right. <laughs> like, man, that's still illegal. Yeah, yeah. I feel like conspiring is yeah. still like, a crime. Super. But, I feel like you should have been arrested already. Yeah. Yeah, like, isn't that, like, the whole thing with Ocean's Eleven? They all get in trouble because they're all conspiring. But not Moriarty because of his superior intellect. There is none that can compare except Sherlock Holmes' protege. And eventually they go to see what this newfangled submarine technology can do. But at this demonstration, the submarine explodes. So sad. (laughs) I was really attached to that submarine. Yeah, me too, for the whole, like, 
three chapters, they talked it up. Yeah. <laughs> really ready to see some submersible action. <laughs> um, Barnett and Sefton return to their hotel, where Sefton eventually reveals to Barnett. He's like, okay, Barnett, my chap, I'm a spy. And Barnett's like, I immediately believe you, and I'm here to help you in any way that you need. <laughs> what should we do? And Sefton's like, meet me in my room at midnight for some spying. So, yeah, for you have some something to say. Spying, Barnett. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like Tell Barnett might have been might have been down for the meeting him in his room at midnight for like different reasons. But it's he didn't like, even have to mention the spy thing. Yeah, he was like, "Your room, midnight. Got it. Got it." <laughs> uh. Whenever Barnett shows up, though, unfortunately, they do not have sex because Sefton is unconscious and bleeding on his bed. Puts a damper on the activities. A A little bit. Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) And then when Barnett steps into the room to help him, he's attacked from behind and also knocked out. Then we switch over to Moriarty, who has gone from Constantinople to Odessa. Uh, To meet Constantinople to Odessa. Okay. Uh, is that an actual song no just the istanbul to constantinople part oh oh yeah yeah. (laughs) he meets with a romanov who is some relation to nicholas the third i think is who's in charge at the time i don't know one of the czars it wasn't america so who cares yeah exactly no one was looking at that it's russian revolution (laughs) whatever that that doesn't happen for a while so anastasia has not become Uh uh yet i did have that moment where i was like wait Romanovs are still around and then I had to think back to like I when like, I was when? a child well yeah. <laughs> literally had to think of like do you remember that series that book series that was like the royal diaries with the gold edges you know I think so yeah I read those a lot it as was- a kid and I had to think back to the Anastasia one when that was set <laughs> so I would be like oh right that was like 1919 or something because like, <laughs> that's that's my only <laughs> historical knowledge that's the american public school didn't teach me world history i had to rely on those books honestly yeah it's (laughs) Uh, i always liked those books because they had little ribbon bookmarks Mm -hmm. they were so fancy the marie antoinette one was beautiful too (laughs) powder blue Mm. i wish i still had those i think i might somewhere we should read those no that would be boring <laughs> trying to find where in my notes I was. <laughs> like, this just all is like, doesn't matter, but whatever. Uh, this Romanov guy tells Moriarty that a man named Trepoff, Trepoff, I don't know, has plans to start a war between Russia and Great Britain because he hates what the Romanovs are doing. They're too liberal for him. So, in order to save Russia, he's going to go to war with Great Britain. <laughs> I didn't follow the logic here, and I don't know if I was meant I to. I <laughs> was counting on you following the logic to explain it to me. No. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to I was no like, help. when is Moriarty going to either deduce things or kill people? That's all I'm here for right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He did a lot of deducing in the, he you know, a lot, of a lot of the classic, classic Sherlock Holmes deducing, you know, for the setup of like, the Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes movie or whatever, where Sherlock Holmes is like, I can tell that you had a ham sandwich. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> where it's just like show off shit. Moriarty does yes. a little bit of that too. He's like, well, I know that you are an American by way of Paris because you're Parisian shoes. And it's like, obviously. All right. 
Moriarty. <laughs> I found Moriarty's methods, though, a little bit less smug than Sherlock's. I don't know. I found them equally smug. They are both smug boys. <laughs> uh, so the Romanoffs went to hire Moriarty to find this man, Trapoff. But the problem is that they know literally nothing about him other than that he goes by Trapoff and that he is working within Russia's secret government or something. So Moriarty accepts the job and returns to Constantinople. So back to Barnett. We found out, and we find out, I guess it could be present tense. We find out that he has been imprisoned and charged for the submarine explosion and for murdering Sefton. And the local government is convinced that Barnett is actually the spy because I guess someone planted the the blueprints for the submarine on his person and also the very suspicious circumstance in which he is in the room with the dead body. I don't know. Moriarty goes to the jail. Um, and he questions him about what happened exactly and says that if Barnett is willing to commit himself to Moriarty's employ for the next two years, he will help Barnett escape from this prison. And Barnett's like, yes, please. I don't want to die here in Constantinople. Take me away. So they do a prison break. (laughs) Moriarty sends some people to this prison disguised as monks who are here to here to listen to the prisoners Christian prisoners' last confessions. They don't care about the other heathen religions. They just want the Christians. Well, presumably the the heathens wouldn't really want to confess their shit to a bunch of monks, right? That like, could also be. I feel like I feel I feel like if I was like any other religion that wasn't Christian, and a bunch of Christian monks were like, "Hey, confess your shit to me, so that you, you can go to Christian heaven." Yeah, I'd be like, "Fuck off for real." <laughs> Get out of here with your white man's burden. <laughs> um, so they go through and they're like hearing these confessions and everything. And then they get to Barnett's prison cell, which is conveniently one of the last ones. And they have one of the monks. There's four monks. One of them was actually made of wire. Amazing. And was just like floating along <laughs> next to them. They collapse him. And then Barnett becomes that monk and they leave the prison and this has no consequences whatsoever because the government would the government of constantinople would have been too embarrassed that this guy got away and no one wanted to tell the shah that a prisoner had escaped and so they all just let it go (laughs) except for don't they like fake they like say that he's dead they're like oh he's yeah he, they, he died. they say he's dead because it's easier to lie about that than to say he escaped but <laughs> they like everyone like the american media has like picked it up that he's dead and then later he has to like awkwardly be like i'm actually alive and the newspaper's like oh cool i definitely believe this from this telegraph alone <laughs> or telegram alone <laughs> i mean it was the 18 somethings so like <laughs> there's a different standard of proof right like people just do this sometimes they die under mysterious circumstances and it turns out that they were alive the whole time They're actually alive yeah yeah we know this from robinson was Crusoe. this a time period where people were afraid of being buried alive and so they had like the little bells or is that earlier in i'm history? gonna say it was right now because it, it was strengthens the exact my same point period of time <laughs> doesn't matter never happened in america so we don't know about it <laughs> 
Oh man, all of our international listeners are gonna hate this. Episode. Oh, I'm sorry to exclude you all. Uh, and honestly, we know the American school system is we bad. Know. We're we know it's on bad, ourselves, guys. not you guys. We know we suck. <laughs> uh, there's a long, convoluted journey where Barnett travels for like it seems weeks and months to get back to London. Like, he has to join a traveling circus at one point and hide under some hay and corn on a train. I don't know. It's like a whole thing. But he eventually arrives in London and Moriarty starts to put him to work. And his main task is to open up an American news bureau in London. So where essentially Barnett pays to get news stories from the local news outlets in London. And then he writes them up and sends them to American newspapers and I hope gets paid more than what he paid. Yeah. I don't know. Um, this was also where my big issue with, like, kind of what I was talking about earlier with, like, why this felt very progressive in a dated sense to me. Because mm. um, they do this a couple times, but I remember it specifically here when Barnett is hiring his love interest, who is a woman mm. journalist or wannabe woman journalist. And I, it might be a little bit later in the book, but it relates to her. So I'm going to talk about it now. Because um, I don't mention her at all. So. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> uh, at some point, she's like writing something and he's like giving her compliments for it. And she's like, now I have to ask, sir, do your compliments come with the understanding of for a woman at the end? And he's like, of course, your writing is good for anyone. Like, I don't think of I don't see gender, essentially. Um and there's writing kind of, is genderless. Yeah, and there's kind of that vibe with Moriarty too, where he says like at some point he's like, "Oh, I don't believe in like differences of race or whatever. I just know I'm smarter than everybody. I don't see race, you know." So like, I, again, it was like, okay, good that like he treats everyone equally, but like mm-hmm. also, I do think it is worth mentioning that it's like, okay, you being smart, quote unquote. Um, is like very directly linked to your class and like the advantages that you were given. And I think that like the fact that this was written in the seventies, the kind of idea of someone being like, Oh, I'll hire a woman. I don't see gender as long as she does the job. Well, it's like, well, no, like her gender is going to affect her writing most likely. Mm-hmm. And that should be celebrated. Not like be like, Different Oh, it, perspectives are good. Right, exactly. It's, it shouldn't be like, it doesn't matter what it, we should pretend death of the author, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to bring that up because I think it is it is worth worth mentioning. Uh, I think that's fair. Yeah. It was like, yeah, just a little bit. I don't know if it's me as a woman in 2020. I was like, mm-hmm. please get this man out of here. <laughs> please have him stop explaining this concept. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, or it's like, I again, I feel like for the time it was written, I'm sure it was a good sentiment but i think that we have moved to different viewpoints progress yes. has progressed as it is want to do <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um the news bureau is kind of a front for moriarty because he hopes that barnett will be able to come across any weird news items just he doesn't even he's like anything that looks weird man Barnett's like, okay, boss. Because <laughs> um, he hopes that the weird news will help point them in the right direction of Trapoff's criminal activities. 
Essentially, Moriarty has created Victorian BuzzFeed, is what has happened. <laughs> he was looking. <laughs> He's like, okay, I want you to go on to Reddit and see if there's any new Ask Reddit threats. <laughs> hey, Reddit, if you were trying, if you were plotting to start a war between. Uh... <laughs> between Russia and Great Britain. Great Britain. What would yeah, you, how do? Would you do? What would yeah, you do? How would you do it? What, would, what do you think would be the best plan? <laughs> Just hypothetically. <laughs> Banana for scale. <laughs> <laughs> That's a data joke. <laughs> I know. I'm so old. Uh, eventually. Barnett comes across a news item about a Duke's missing daughter, which is unusual because the story is retracted just a few hours later with some very flimsy explanation of where the daughter actually was. And Moriarty, with his vast intellect, recognizes this as the Duke being told to not alert the media to his daughter's appearance by the abductors. So they just like roll up to this Duke's estate to question him about where his daughter (laughs) actually is, which... Doesn't seem like the best plan ever, especially considering what does happen. But Moore already knew this would happen. I don't think he actually uses that excuse this time, but like. No, he actually, he actually can. I think this, he was a little bit surprised at the turn of events here. Yes. Um, they show up at the house and the Duke mistakenly thinks that Moriarty has shown up to negotiate the terms for his daughter's release because it turns out. The Duke has hired none other than Sherlock Holmes to find his daughter. And Sherlock is super biased and thinks that Moriarty is the most evil man in the world and does every crime. Every single crime. Also, like, how dumb do you have to be to be like, this man has kidnapped my daughter and he's going to demand her ransom in person at my ducal estate? Like, what? Yeah, but by pretending he doesn't know anything about it. Like, for what reason, Sherlock? For purpose? Like, (laughs) Moriarty tells Sherlock, he's like, you're being biased and stupid. (laughs) And Sherlock is like, nuh-uh. You're being biased and stupid. (laughs) You're biased for being a criminal. (laughs) So Moriarty and Barnett just have to leave. So this was a very good use of everyone's time. (laughs) Also, like, they don't do anything to stop them. They're just like... Yeah, they're just like, all right, goodbye then. (laughs) Like, I get, like, because this is the way it's presented in the book, is that Sherlock Holmes is all la, 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 and Moriarty is all chaos, 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 right? Uh Like... So, like, I guess, like, Sherlock Holmes couldn't just, like, grab Moriarty because then he'd be doing a kidnap and that would be against the law. But also, <laughs> like, just grab him. Like, I know. Well, Moriarty is, like, slander. I have the law on my side. How dare you call me a criminal in front of a duke? <laughs> I don't know, man. I guess the, the thought of accidentally committing a crime was enough for Sherlock to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not about that. You're the criminal here, not me. <laughs> Sherlock is just over here javering all over the place. Like, I am the law and the law is not mocked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. And he's definitely the Russell Crowe version of the mm-hmm. other, which is like the worst version. Stars! <laughs> but... I have to admit that this is one of my like favorite versions of Sherlock is the one where he's actually an idiot. I can I like see that. why because I find Sherlock, as I've mentioned, somewhat insufferable. So I like 100%. I like any version that 
focus because I feel like for me that's the issue with the I have read some other like Sherlock adaptations and I've seen Sherlock movies that I like Mm -hmm. but like the original stories the thing that always irks me about them and mysteries and I wasn't going to bring this up on this one but like here we go you did so let's hear it the thing that annoys me about mysteries is that I feel like it's a fucking uh, like escape room that the person who designed the escape room then joins every group and is like, let's go through this escape room together. I found the key. I'm so smart. Like, 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 the thing with Sherlock Holmes is like, he all, and I, I get that this is true in all fiction to some extent, but it just, the like suspension of disbelief does not work for me in mysteries for some reason. Like I cannot, mm. Forget the fact that everything Sherlock Holmes deduces is a problem that Conan created, right? Like Conan Doyle created. Like, yeah. The only reason Sherlock Holmes seems so smart is because Arthur Arthur Conan Doyle wants him to be really smart. So it's just like everyone else is stupid in comparison. Like he wrote them purposefully stupid. Right. Like the limits of Sherlock Holmes deductions are like what Arthur Conan Doyle himself can deduce. It's Uh the whole like it's the problem of we talked about this with like Christmas rom-coms every time. Um there's like a person who has like a career and their career is shown on screen. They're like, they to the audience seem really bad at the career, right? Like if they're right. like a designer of cover of like art, if they're like an artist, they only make ugly, badly. Photoshopped yeah, art. exactly. Like that's how I feel about <laughs> mysteries where I'm just like, you solved it, but you're the one who created it. So I feel like it doesn't <laughs> count. Like, oh, that's funny. Yeah. I, feel like to me and I only like certain genres of Mm -hmm. mystery mainly cozy mysteries and historical mysteries Mm -hmm. because I feel like much as with the romance genre there's a comfort for me there of knowing that like we're gonna get a certain type of hero or heroine and they're gonna solve the crime by the end and there's gonna be hijinks I just I like the formula yeah um I don't I don't like like the hard-boiled crime or detective series I don't I don't care for those or the ones where like a contemporary one where it's just a normal person who probably mm-hmm. has a drinking problem stumbling upon the car. I'm, I'm not here for that. I want like the lighthearted ones, but yeah, I can kind of see it's kind of like a self insert. Right. But right. Really, I feel like Sherlock like, Holmes is just the ultimate Mary Sue. And yes, a hundred percent. I felt Moriarty in this book was kind of a Mary Sue. And I'm just like, yeah. you just swapped out one detective for another. <laughs> I'm not here for, but again, it just, it's something about like, because all fiction is based on that suspension of disbelief of forgetting that the author is there for a minute, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. something about mysteries, it just, I cannot get it's there. It's very apparent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I get what you're saying about Moriarty in this book because it is true. I, I just, <laughs> I really, I liked the idea, though, of this, like, criminal found family. Yeah, that part was cool. And I liked I, that. I like Daddy Moriarty mm-hmm. more than I, I don't like that. Detective still. criminal Moriarty. <laughs> But yeah, that is the because again, this is getting more into. Um, but like, into a future unit, right? But like, I look I, forward to hearing this all again yeah, soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna just stop there because. <laughs> oh, don't just tease our listeners. Ooh. <laughs> listeners can call me daddy. Oh no, I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. So the next big thing that happens is that one of Daddy Moriarty's associates is captured, (laughs) Tolliver the Mummer, and Moriarty goes full overprotective mode. 
he and Barnett and Moriarty's butler, Mr. Maws, set out on a rescue attempt. And they show up at the house where Tolliver was taken, and he was taken by uh, Trapoff's Trapoff. Trapoff sounds right-ish. Yeah. Hmm. Um. And they show up to this house, and they pretend to be the police, and that's enough to scare the criminals away. And they rescue Tolliver. There was like no tension here. It just they Moriarty's like, here's the plan. The plan worked. <laughs> what you want one of Daddy Moriarty's special children to die? Is that what you want, Anna? <laughs> <laughs> his special baby favorite son Tolliver <laughs> his sweet but baby boy to be replaced by by baby Ben oh no <laughs> oh they rescue they rescue Tolliver and then Sherlock shows up with Scotland Yard and he's like haha caught you red-handed <laughs> Moriarty's like you idiot go deduce Fucking the idiot. room you goddamn idiot <laughs> These guys, they use like, they use like deduction as like the same way that someone would say, read the room. He's like, (laughs) deduce it, fuckwit. (laughs) And Sherlock, he goes and deduces something and he's like, wow, I guess I do suck and I need to do some more serious investigating because it was clear to me that there were Russians involved with this plot to kidnap Tolliver from his daddy. (laughs) Those stinky Russians. Um, Moriarty sneaks this hat from the crime scene and goes home to deduce it and he finds he finds a pawn store ticket in the brim and he just gives it to Barnett there's no like identifying features on it it's basically just a slip of paper that says like I owe you Um, but he tells Barnett to find out where it came from Barnett goes to like probably every pawn shop in London and eventually comes across the right one And he lies to the owner and says, I have something I need to return to the person who you gave this ticket to. Um, So can I get a name and address? And the owner of the pawn store is like, here you go. Sure. No problem. It's a different time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then without telling anyone, Barnett decides to go and investigate this address by himself, which is obviously a bad idea. Idiot. But no one claimed Barnett was a good deducer. That's Daddy Moriarty's job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Daddy deduces and baby Barnett, baby Ben, he writes about it. He is the Watson of this. He just uses his little pencil. His <laughs> 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 little typewriter. Daddy, can you tell me a story? I want to write about it for show and tell. <laughs> But imagine him as like a fast talking New Yorker. <laughs> I'm trying to think how to combine a, a New York cameraman accent with a baby. <laughs> it's too bad. It's too difficult. It's a challenge beyond my voice skills. Extra, extra. We know all about it. There you go. You got there. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy sells a quiet, but I'm so proud. <laughs> I hate what we've done this episode. But <laughs> it's all my own fault. This is, this is the worst daddy chips. Oh, man. <laughs> we've done a curse bit. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh. 
<laughs> Barnett goes to this address and is immediately knocked out and taken hostage by Trepov and his men. And uh, the Duke's daughter, who we haven't mentioned in a long time because everyone stopped giving a fuck about her after <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Made this is a Sherlock Holmes book. Do you expect us to care about women? Don't be stupid. <laughs> we don't need to save the damsel. We're villains. <laughs> but she's she's been there for six weeks, just tied up in just this room chilling. because Sherlock thinks Moriarty did it. And at the end of the story, no one is mad at Sherlock about that. Like you, you took. Six weeks to find my daughter because you are so obsessed with Daddy Moriarty. <laughs> uh, Sherlock is his prodigal son, though. Mm-hmm. Truly. Um. Anyway, there's like, there's something, there's some scheme here involving classical music and wires that will touch after the music is over and an explosion that will occur because of that. I don't know what the purpose of this was. I don't if it was just like a sign or they were just having some fun. But Sherlock steps in to save the day at the last moment. Hooray. And at this point, Sherlock is like, all right, I was being a butthead. Let's let's I want in on whatever crime it is you're trying to solve. And Moriarty decides to bring Sherlock into the fold so they can work together to track down Trepoff and figure out what this guy is even doing even. They still don't know. Like he's just, <laughs> he's just having fun. He's just committing crimes, having a good time, kidnapping daughters, and yeah, you know, threatening to explode people via music box. That's wearing cool hats. Wearing cool hats. Uh, and after some discussion, Barnett has to like relate the stupid submarine story all over again. But Sherlock and Moriarty agree that. When Barnett says he saw a submarine explode at the beginning of the novel, all he really saw was an explosion. So we can deduce that it was not actually the submarine that exploded, but something else to trick everybody. Well, baby Ben doesn't understand object permanence yet. so That's true. He closed his eyes. The submarine was gone. What was he supposed <laughs> to expect? <laughs> oh. <laughs> They, they then jump to the conclusion that Trepoff is going to use the submarine and some missiles that have also gone missing lately to blow up the queen at some yachting event. It's always the queen, isn't it? Like in these, like, I don't know, I say always, but really I'm just thinking of the one other Sherlock Holmes reimagining I can really remember, which is, of course, Disney's The Great Mouse Detective. Oh, fuck it. That's my favorite Disney movie. And I will fight anyone who says they don't like it. I do like it, but I will say as a child, that that really scared me. Yeah. Well, and Radigan, too, at the end. Radigan was... That, like, robot Radigan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Radigan I was okay with because, you know, his incredibly queer vibe spoke to something in Young M. Mm. Um, but that bat dude, he was... When he pretends to be the little girl and... They like go up and they're like Olivia, Olivia, and then he t- it turns around and he's the and bat. It's a mouse. He's like, I mean, no, it's a rat. Not cool. Bat. Not oh my cool. god, what a word! <laughs> I always like that scene where they're all about to die because Basil is like sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deduce. 
And he's about to die. And they have the big, like, the, like, Rube Goldberg, like, execution thing yeah. going on. Yeah. Way too, yeah, way too complex of a killing method. Yeah. <laughs> that was, like, the fucking classical music bomb in this one. Exactly. Trip off was like, there will be 16 tracks played, each by a different composer. And as soon as they're done, some wires will touch them. The building will explode with you in it. So they go to the yachting event. But they have to find the submarine. They still don't know where it is. So Barnett goes up into a hot air balloon to see if he can see it. And he uses like flares to direct Moriarty, Sherlock, and Dr. Watson, who finally makes an appearance. Um, <laughs> Dr. Watson in this book is like, everybody's like, he's dumb, but he's sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like he's a really, really nice dude. He knows a little bit about the human body, but wow, don't try and have a conversation with this man. <laughs> he's just a big idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a different color for each direction north south east and west and they barnett's just in a hot air balloon shooting flares <laughs> it's fine whatever they find the submarine they stop the missiles from hitting the queen's ship by running their ship into the missiles and jumping away at the last moment and then they chase trapoff so they can arrest him and they first chase him by sea but Trapoff makes it to land first and gets into a hot air balloon. But thankfully, there's another hot air balloon nearby. So Moriarty and everybody jump into that one. And then there's a high-speed hot air balloon chase. And then they <laughs> shoot some fireworks at each other, which eventually sets Trapoff's balloon on fire. And then they just assume that that kills the man. Mm. They're like, we did it. <laughs> which I'm going to go out on a limb here and, you know say it doesn't (laughs) yeah yeah there was no body we didn't see the body again it's just it's just they just they gave moriarty a moriarty is what they did yep yeah which like just own it dude (laughs) be a bad guy like i don't know the the queen is happy the romanovs are happy moriarty's happy sherlock is like we are still enemies and I will never work with you ever again. And I hope I can eventually arrest you for all the crimes that you commit, which is every crime, because I know you. And I'm not going to let Watson write about you in our stories until yes. one of us kills each other, which conveniently explains why Moriarty was not brought up in any Arthur Conan Doyle stories until the one where it's revealed that he is the mastermind behind everything and they act like he's been big and important the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, I, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle thanks you from the grave, Michael <laughs> For fixing that plot hole. <laughs> yep, thank you. Thank y'all. <laughs> and Moriarty's like, well, okay. Bye, Sherlock. Like, cool, I've got other I've got other babies to I take care of. I got crimes to plan that you can't pit on me. See ya. <laughs> and that's the end of this book. But there's more, which I won't be reading. At least five. Mm-hmm. I was thinking I might, but who's Good. to say? I'm glad you enjoyed it. And then and then we'll we'll come to an episode where it was like a book you challenged me to that I really don't want to read at all. And then I'll just describing the plot. I'll just start describing the plot of that Moriarty <laughs> book. And I just, <laughs> just have to go with it. Uh, all right. So that's this book. What are your thoughts on the genre at this point? Do you, you've said you might read more of this particular series. Do you think this has changed your mind about this type of parallel novel no i still just like sherlock holmes stuff (laughs) understandable 
Um, I found Till We Have Faces to be a little exhausting. Mm-hmm. And obviously Midnight Sun was just a whole the new best. level of... Wow. Uh, so... <laughs> uh, no, I think if I went back and I read... Uh, crown duel mm-hmm. and i got to the short stories at the end that were for, from fedanrick's point of view i would continue my 20 year streak of not reading them <laughs> all right well in some ways i feel like i failed but in some ways i don't care <laughs> extra extra we all about it <laughs> We're all winners here today, including <laughs> Baby Ben, journalist extraordinaire. At the end of the day, what we've maybe learned from this unit, and several of the units, is that um, even if it's still not a genre you like, there may be exceptions to the rule. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't have to like every yes. version of everything. Yes. Yeah. Well, speaking of liking things... Have you been reading anything that. else that you like? Okay. So I think last regular episode of Shelf Aware, mm-hmm. um, I talked about the Enola Holmes movie and how it was a movie that was made only for me. Um, me specifically, it's all of my favorite things. Mm-hmm. I have recently discovered a book <gasps> that had to have been written just for me and only me. They wow. were just... They stumbled across our podcast somehow, and they listened to everything that I like about a book, and they were like, hmm, I think I can, I think I can do this for her. <laughs> uh, I read, and there, it's even related to this, because the book is called Hench by Natalie Zena Walshots, oh, Walscotts. Yeah, I saw that you read this on Goodreads. Oh my god, this has my, been my favorite book of the year. Wow. Um, it is the end of October as we are recording this. Uh, and with two months left in the year, I feel very confident. So it's getting my favorite book of 2020, probably my favorite book of the past few years. Damn. Um, the only thing I didn't like about it is that the main character's name is Anna. I hate that. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you have it much worse. You see Emily a lot more often. This is than why I, I go by Anne. M. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. too many I, of us. I can't go by Anne because that's, <laughs> a, a, that's another name that's also very common and, you know, just has a vibe that I'm not here for. I'm not an Anne. Anna is uh, a henchman for hire. So basically, like, heroes and villains are established in this world. um, And you can become, like, an entry-level employee Mm -hmm. of a villain. Um, Anna specifically is, like, data entry, specifically. And she kind of stumbles into a situation um, on accident where she is involved in a villainous plot that a superhero comes and saves the day but in the process she gets like super injured um and so using her rage from her experience as a superhero she kind of starts to tally up all of the damage that superheroes have done over the years and using that data weaponizes it to bring them down so it's villain perspective <laughs> Uh, villains being like specifically the heroes of the day and the superheroes being the bad guys. And also just that like found family aspect of like, here's a villain that loves all of their subordinates and Mm. would do anything to protect them. And 
just like enough romance to where the fan fiction would be plentiful if people would just write it please (laughs) please it was excellent five stars i like it was a little bit slow getting into it i wasn't sure but then like you just hit like after the first chapter it's like oh fuck no i love this and i'm gonna keep reading it forever (laughs) that sounds really good i'm not as big of a like i like villain stories i'm not quite as big Mm -hmm. of a villain head as you are but Mm -hmm. um i like a good a good villain perspective book i might give that one a, a shot yeah i think the i think the main character is by in the story and i think there's some other representation but i can't remember if i'm remembering it correctly from this story if i'm confusing it with something else i've read recently but <laughs> there is some lgbt representation um and it's just really fucking good mm. cool read it i'm gonna read it again <laughs> what did you read <laughs> um i've been on a big contemporary romance kick recently mm. um so i feel yeah. like i got to shout out a couple of those uh not really related to this at all just a thing that i do like reading instead of this but i read one that you suggested in the past beach read by emily henry I think, oh did you like yeah, it? Yeah, yeah it was really good oh i love that book that was another five-star read for me i know it was, it was a good one um and then you have me at ola by alexis daria um, and The Roommate, which was suggested to me by friend of the podcast, Morgan, by Rosie Dannon. Um, all three, oh, very yeah. good. Check those out. Um, but then the one that I want to talk about kind of more in relation to this book was a retelling, and it was a graphic novel, not a contemporary romance, um, called... <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, let me take this again, because I feel like that was very confusing. No, I liked it. Leave it in the way it was. Okay. It's perfect. Um, what I mean is that I... I usually read a book specifically to recommend for the podcast, and this is that one. But then I have also been reading a lot of contemporary romances recently, Mm -hmm. which is why I had those to recommend. Um, But the book I wanted to recommend was um, uh, The 100 Nights of Hero by Isabel Greenberg, um, which is kind of like a retelling of Scheherazade, Thousand One Nights Mm -hmm. sort of thing, where it's like essentially a – Guy makes a bet with one, of, and it's like set in like this medieval esque world. A guy makes a bet with one of his friends that that friend won't be able to seduce his wife over a hundred nights, and the wife is secretly in a relationship with her maid hero. Um, so the two of them come up with this plot in order to keep the wife safe from this guy's advances by hero telling him all these stories. So it's like, uh, it's a very cool like metatextual sort of engagement with like storytelling and Mm -hmm. how like how that can affect the audience and stuff um but also the couple is very cute so (laughs) nice i'll have to look that up all right um so next week we'll be reading animorphs number 28 the experiment and the week after that we are going to be returning to our current uh reader reader i keep saying reader listener-generated submission unit, which is um, Weird Westerns, which was submitted by James, uh, Mm -hmm. with another book he suggested, Dawn in Damnation by Clark Casey. Y'all know I've been real thirsty for this vampire western. I can't wait. Eh, 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 eh. The cover looks so... I'm I'm a little bit more excited about this one than the last one. I feel like... I can give a lot of leeway to vampires. Yeah. Listen to this. Listen to this, the blurb on the back. And if this doesn't sell you on this book, I don't know what will because it sounds absolutely outrageous and I fucking love it. 
There are no laws in damnation, only two simple rules. If you get shot, you go directly to hell. And if you stay alive without shooting anyone for one year, you just might get into heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, this is going to be awesome. I'm so excited. Oh, Oh. looking forward to it. (laughs) I really am. In the meantime... If you have a genre of book or a trope in a book you'd like us to take a look at, or even just one book that you really didn't like or you really did love and you want us to more than likely shit all over it, you can tweet <laughs> at us at ShuffleWareCast or email us ShuffleWareCast at gmail.com. As always, thank you to Ben Cope for the use of our theme song. You can check out his YouTube channel in our show notes below. We're also on all of your favorite podcast aggregating platforms. So if you haven't followed or subscribed to us on one of those, you definitely should. I know you're very anxious to hear about these rootin' tootin' vampires. (laughs) And I don't want you to miss out. I really don't. Uh, if you if you use Apple Podcasts, we'd very much appreciate a five-star review. But if you don't, that's okay, because you're allowed to talk about us anywhere on the internet you would like. In the words of Michael Curland, Moriarty, he said, reading from the folder, James Clovis, born in 1842 in Bradford-on-Avon, Wiltshire, of Thomas Moriarty, headmaster of the Bradford School, and his wife, nay Anne Dufave, a woman of French extraction, has an older brother, James Francis, a booking agent for the Great Central Railway, and a younger brother, James Louis. Okay, so, like, I don't know who to blame, Curland or Conan Doyle, for the fact that all of Moriarty's siblings are named James, but, like, what the <laughs> fuck? Why did we not get into that? It's like George Foreman named all these children. <laughs> Now I'm just laughing because now I'm just laughing because I'm thinking about how it could be messed up at the intro and it's messing up the intro. <laughs> Self-fulfilling prophecy. 